0: We're in the book of Ephesians. It is an incredible, incredible journey. To walk through this book and to study it, um, I don't think that any of us, when we get through with this process, in in my opinion, my whole opinion, I just don't feel like we'll be the same. This particular place that we're in, I had grandiose dreams of covering a, a pretty good section of Scripture until until i started to study it now i want you to know that that i don't come here with any particular agenda in mind i do not i do come here i'll take that away i that's not truthfully true i come here to move my heart i come here to see what what's what is god going to say to me as we go through scripture and and how will he convict me in this particular place in scripture I often find that that He will do that to me in every service. Nothing, Not all of them are the same for me. Each will be a little different in one way or another. And so I come here this morning not to try to convict any of you and not to try to move any of you other than what God wants to do. It's not my intent to move a person. It's my intent to to please the Lord and to say what I believe that He would have us to say in this particular place in Scripture. And it is my, my deepest belief is that God moves as we study through His Word as He desires for us as a body of believers. And so what I'm going to say today, I believe, will challenge most people within most churches. And if that's what God will do, that's what God will do. First thing I'd like to say is I, I wish i would got up here just a little earlier. Anthony and Genevieve, his wife, and, and the 180 student ministry band was the group that led us in worship today. God really has blessed our church. These young people um, serve in the student ministry and, and play music there every week. And and probably the next service. Our whole side here will be filled with the 180 people as they're going to worship with Anthony and Genevieve because they won't be in their service. They're going to be here with us. But I just wanted to say how God is, in my opinion, how God is moving in our church and the wonderful things that he is doing through the the gifts that he has given to people to use, which will lead us right into this service, gifts that God has given us. God's gifts to us. Paul is asking, no, let's let's be very honest with Scripture. Paul is begging. He is pleading with the person who has accepted Christ and who has made a part of a church. He is pleading with that person, you and me. As he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I I entreat you, I I beg of you, I I plead with you, walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. The first thing that we ought to understand is what is our calling in life? What what has God said to us individually? And when we go through this message, I, I want you to think individually. What has God asked of you? I think it is a sad Christian who doesn't understand what is God's calling in their life. What is He asking of you? It is is the most freeing moment in any one of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, if we can understand what it is that He has asked us to do with our lives that we live here right now. What is His purpose for you and me? So Paul begs with the people, walk, walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. Then he tells us how to fulfill that calling that we have, that we are to walk in, in verses 2 and 3. We, we studied it already. The how to do that is humbly. The how to do that is gently. The how to do that is to be patient with one another and loving one another. So that we would be able to build up or preserve the unity of the Spirit in in the bond of peace. In other words, Paul is pleading with, with his readers. The people who will read this great, great letter that he is sending. And remember, it is a circular letter. It is going to all of the churches of that time. He is pleading with us to keep... God's church secure until He returns. Until He returns. Until He returns. I don't know what's going on in this world in which we live. This is a little rabbit trail, just tiny, but it's part of it. I don't know what's going on in this world in which we live right now. I watch, as you probably watch, what's occurring and I get email just as you get email on. It all of a sudden seems like it's really important for for this world in which we live, this global time that we become one. Well, that's a prediction and it is a warning for believers. When we become one, we're to be careful. We're to really understand who we are in the Lord because perhaps, I don't know, I am not saying, I'm just looking, perhaps we are in the end times, perhaps, everything is pointing towards it, at least as far as I can understand. And so we're to keep this church secure during times that might be difficult. Then Paul writes in verses 4, 5, 6, he tells us about the seven ones, if you would, that make up the framework of of a body of believers. If you look at verse 4, there is but one body, he says. There is also but one spirit, he says, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, Verse 5, he says, there is but one Lord, there is but one faith, there is but one baptism. Verse 6 tells us, there is but one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, in, in all. And with this statement, Paul sets the very framework of the body of believers. And in setting the framework of God's church being built into one single single-minded group of people, Paul allows us to see that God then sets into our laps, if you would, a gift. A spiritual gift given to every single person who comes to believe in Jesus Christ. And for what reason? Well, we're going to read. So as to equip each other so as to build up the body of Christ, so as to mature, grow each other in our faith, what you and I will see today is how desperately needed every single one of us are within the body of Christ. There are no spectators. We are to be involved, every single one of us, to one degree or another. And with that in mind... Read with me some of the most penetrating words you can find concerning the framework and the working of a church when it is doing what God has called it to do, when it is humble, when it is gentle with one another, when it is patient and loving, united, keeping the bond of peace. Paul says in verse 7, almost as if he is shifting gears, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also, he who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11 tells us, He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastor and teachers. Verse 12 For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature person, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ as a result. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trick, the trickery of man and by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects unto Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is being fitted and held together by that which Every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Man, what a place in Scripture. It is is like the, the Lord, well it isn't like, the Lord is saying to us, every joint supplies something, every part has its... Value within the body of Christ. And when we get through with this message, I, I think the Lord is going to say to you and me, each of us are are extremely valuable to one another. You will never be the person of Christ that God wants you to be until that person on your left or that person on your right or that person in front of you or behind you gets involved within your life to help you to grow. And so it is the same with yourself. You will never allow that person in front of you or side of you or or behind you to be all that, that God has created him to be until you become involved in their lives. And how? Purely and simply walk. Walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. Be gentle with one another. Be humble with one another. Patient with one another. Love one another so as to build the unity of the church through the bond of peace. It's such, a, it's such a magnificent... It preaches itself. It really does. It preaches itself. And so as I had a, a, a grandiose thought of, let's cover this, and, and I really tried. Honestly, I tried. You can't really teach this lesson without really understanding verses 8, 9, and 10. And to understand verses 8, 9, and 10, it takes time. It takes a little bit of time. You can't run it through in 10 minutes and fit it all into a 30-minute message. You just can't. Well, maybe you could if you didn't babble like I'm doing right now, but you can't. You need time to understand what does it mean that the Lord God ascended? What does it mean that Jesus Christ descended into the earth? It, you need to understand other scriptures so it fits in. So my grandiose plan was, let's cover it all. And, and, and usually the pages that I write myself and my notes are, if I go beyond 12, I'm, I'm really, really trying to hurry. And I got 18 pages and I thought to myself, can't do that. Can't do it. Don't talk fast enough. So I divided it. And I ask your forgiveness if it seems like we plod along on this, but trust me, um, before God, all oh my, before our Lord, I really consider it important. And I think he does too. And I don't try to discourage you by going so slowly and thinking, well, I can miss the next Sunday. Uh, we'll just be in the next verse. It's, <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. God causes every verse to be vital. Every part of it to be. It's vital to itself. And you're welcome. And I don't think it's important. Forgive me. I didn't get emotional last night. See, every service is different. Come back the next service. You'll see. I probably won't cry a leg. But every place in this place. I love you so much. I can't put into words how much I love you, and I want—I want—I mm-hmm. want to leave. Whenever it is, I leave, which I hope is not soon. But whenever it is, I leave. I want to leave this place better than the way I found it. Oh, I, I want—I mm-hmm. want you to, to feel as if you've grown. I want you to feel as if God has touched your heart and your lives. He has done that to me, and I hope I'm not the only one. And so when we read words like this, it it just amazes me. I can't wait to see Paul. If I get the nerve, I'm going to thank him. For... for, Giving so much of himself for us. Wow. This is nothing like last night. Let's pray. Father, please uh, calm me down. Uh, please, Father, uh, allow, allow us to see yourself and not someone who's uh, up here emotional. It's, it does us no good. We need to understand the Word of God. We need to understand what you're saying. Father, We really we really must comprehend the importance of this this church, the Rock Community Church. Not that this church is better than any other church. I I don't believe it is. But I I, I think we need to understand the importance of of what you want for us so that we can be the church that you've called us to be. And so Father, we need to understand this this part of Scripture because to me it's it's critical. It really is critical. We'll never grow, we'll never be what we were called to be until we understand what Paul is pleading with us here about our gifts. And so Lord, please open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we might that we might behold absolute wonderful things from your word. Teach us, dear Father, I I I beg of you, may the Holy Spirit of God himself teach us what is unique for every single one of us here. This message, I believe with all of my heart, is as different to each person as it is night to day. Because none of our gifts are equal or the same. They have been given to us by you, which makes them awfully important and so may we understand what that means may we understand what is uh, what what is our walk to be according to our calling may we understand the importance of a church I pray in Jesus most precious name, amen please forgive me, I'll try and get out of this funk. I don't understand it Why? Why in verse 7, why in the world in verse 7 is that such an amazing verse? Why, when Paul writes to each one of us, grace has been given? Note, this grace has been given to every single one of us according to the measure of Jesus Christ's gift to you and me. Well, let me tell you. That was not a difficult question to answer in my own heart. I just had to read through this section of Scripture to see what is Paul trying to say. I had to bounce through verses 8, 9, and 10 to get to the gifts that were given, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as pastor-teachers, and some as evangelists. He is mentioning the the top echelon of of what forms and formulates a church. He's not talking about some of us who are, you know, the, I don't know, the grunt workers, you know, the, the ones that are doing the everyday tasks. He's talking about those who is given to a church that are the evangelists and the prophets. And so it is simple to see that he wants us to have this grace that has been given to us according to the measure of His gift to us so that we might, verse 12, it's, it's everything, so that we might equip the saints, equip one another for the work of service so that you might understand what is your work, what is the service that you need to do. Well, ultimately, your work of service is going to build up the body of Christ. Can there be anything more important that you and I will do on this earth than to build up the body of Christ? I say, no, unless it's perhaps how we handle and and grow our children, that to me seems awfully important. Paul already said this. It's not like he's just throwing this out at us. He's already said in chapter 2 and verse 10, he's given us somewhat of a a, a warning of what God desires from us. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 10, you'll see that that Paul already says we're his workmanship. In other words, we're his poem, uh, his creation, if you would. We are God's workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for what? For what? Tell me, tell me please, say it out loud. For what? For good works. You and I have, we are God's workmanship. We've been created in Christ to do something on this earth. And that is, we are created to do good works. Now, here's the blessing which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, it's, it's not something that you and I have to muster up. It's not something that we have to, to, to create and, and, and think, what is this that I'm called to do? No, God has already prepared a good work for me. All He asks of me is to be, bili- be willing to simply walk in it. To just be willing to do whatever He has called me to do. To the best of my ability, to give Him my very best whatever that is. I mean, my best might not be as best as someone else who is more eloquent or or a better teacher, but my best is what I can do. It is my best. Come fully loaded to church, ready to serve my Lord in whatever, whatever calling He has called me to so that I can walk worthy in this In this fashion, this manner in which he has called me. Same for you. Same for all of us. And how? How do we walk in these good works that he's already prepared for us? I mean, the results are already done. All he needs is our willing to do it. Our willingness to do it, I guess you should say. Or I should say. And so as as Paul very clearly explains in verses 1, 2, and 3 of this chapter, that's how you and I are to walk. Walk to our calling, our gifts, and using them to build up the body of Christ. I want to tell you a basic truth of Christianity. Basic truth. Read and read and read and read, and you'll find out it is not so much this faith that you and I have It's not so much what we can do for God. On the contrary, in reality, your and my faith is what God wants to do through us. There are no superstars. There are no superstars in God's kingdom. There are just some who have been called and who are willing to walk in a manner worthy of their calling and do what He has already prepared beforehand for them to do. To the measure of grace that He has given to each of us. So it's not what we do for God. Your faith and my faith is in reality what God has done for us. You see, once we come to believe in Jesus Christ, then we are equipped to build up one another it's critical it is absolutely critical how you are desperately needed within the family of god because it's god who equips you it's god who has given you the work to do it is god who personally prepares your work so you just walk in it and so when we accomplish the work that he has given us by using the gifts that he has given us All he asks us to do is to be available and he'll do the rest. That's so true. That is so true. It's important to note in verse 7 still, the single word but. Because that word moves us from verses 1 through 6, this unifying thought of 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 who we are as believers and who God is within the framework of the church to what lies ahead for those of us who have trusted in Him in verses 7 and forward. But could really be translated on the other hand. And if you'll note in verse 7, Paul is speaking to every single one of us as individuals. He speaks to each one of us. Yet what we will see within the family of God, unity does not mean sameness. We are not all to become cookie-cutter Christians. We're not supposed to look alike and walk alike and talk alike. God has uniquely called every single one of us, and He has placed upon us our personalities, our character, the very essence of who we are, and He needs that person for who they are, to be used uniquely by Him within the family of God. You see, we all can't be loudmouths, and we all can't be quiet. There has to be a little of this and a little of that to build up the family of God. And so each of us are unique. And God is going to use yours and my uniqueness to build up the body of Christ. To equip one another. To mature one another. Here's what I'm really trying to say. Let's look at what Paul says about it. Turn, hold your place here and turn with me to the left. You'll just go to 1 Corinthians. You'll go past Galatians and 2 Corinthians and you'll come to 1 Corinthians. How's that for a theological giant? 2 Corinthians comes after First Corinthians. I've been through seminary. No, I haven't. Chapter 12. Verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I, I don't want you to be unaware. That's a great statement right there in and of itself. Concerning the gifts that you and I have been given, Paul says, don't want you to be unaware. He says in verse 4, Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of ministries in the same Lord. And there are a variety of effects. But the same God who works all things in all persons. That's what Paul is saying. He is saying within the framework of a church, we are all unique. There are a variety of gifts. There are a variety of ministries. There are a variety of effects. But the same Lord in all of it. He's the one who moves us. He is the one who has prepared what we're going to do. All He asks us to walk in it. And, and in a variety of ways. Because for each of us here, this is a different message, so to speak. This is, this is different for, for every single one of us. Because we've all been gifted differently. Variety of gifts. Look. Look though, look what it says in verse 7. To each one, each one of us who have come to believe in Christ, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Look at verse 11. But... One and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Look at verse 18. But now God has placed the members, in other words, the members within the body of Christ, each one of them in the body just as He desires. It is He who has given out these gifts. It is He who has gifted you and me uniquely so that we might be used by Him. And so we can see how desperately each one of us becomes important to the other person within the big picture of the church. God has personally set us apart. God, therefore, allows us to realize how desperately we need one another to be all that God has called us to be. Would you please turn back to... Ephesians chapter 4. Again, look at verse 7. To every single one of us, to each one of us, note grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace, grace, grace needs to be understood here. Grace is God's unmerited favor. His unmerited favor was given to every single one of us who believe in Jesus Christ. His unmerited favor is Things that we receive that we do not deserve. They are, we didn't earn them. It's just that God desired, desires to bless us and give us. There's nothing you and I can do that, that, that we have been gifted to do that would make God love us more, or for that matter, less. The staggering yet amazing truth of your faith and my faith, Christianity, is wrapped up in that one great word called grace. You see, grace is truly an integral part of the gospel. God giving of Himself to take away our sin. Grace, unmerited favor. We did nothing to deserve His grace upon our lives. And in return, We believe in Him. We trust in Him. We ask Him to forgive us our sins so that we can be the people that He has created us to be to be. And so in return for believing in Him, He gives you and me salvation, eternal life. And as we learned in Ephesians chapter one and verse three, He has given us all the spiritual blessings that go along with our salvation. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you and me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's God's grace, folks. I want you to see it. Probably one of the most amazing pictures of God's grace. Unmerited favor is seen in Second Peter Second Peter now is to the right. Hold your place again in Ephesians, and turn to Second Peter, chapter one. Now Second Peter comes after um, oh gosh, you know, uh, second, First Second Timothy and then Titus, and then Hebrews that's a pretty big book, and James, and then comes first and then second Peter. Second Peter, chapter one. Listen to Peter's writings concerning grace. Peter, who calls himself, much like Paul does, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 1, To those who have received faith, the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look what he says in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He says in verse 3, Seeing that His divine power, His, God's divine power, has granted to us, watch this now, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these... These things that the Lord God has given to you and me, by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them, these promises that He has made to us, you and I may become the most amazing place you'll ever read in Scripture. We will become partakers of the divine nature. The very nature of God is flowing through us. Therefore, we've escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Verse 2, look, grace and peace is multiplied to you and me. Verse 3, because our God has granted us every single thing pertaining to eternal life and godliness, and then He promises us that we would become partakers of His Divine nature, the very nature of God Himself. Imagine people, imagine God's grace. God's grace has been multiplied to you and me. And so back in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul makes it clear that God gives His grace, His unmerited favor, His undeserved and unearned favor to every believer who trusts in Jesus Christ. And note, Note, verse 7, Jesus measures out this gift that He has given to every single one of us. In other words, how much you get is up to God's wisdom and God's choice for you. Therefore, we ought not to be upset if we don't have what we want, because to be upset is to be upset with God's plan for us. He gives measured out just what He wills in your life and in my life. Listen, listen out of this, please, listen. Since it is God who gives you and me our particular gift or gifts, then please hear this, then no gift ought to be complained about or misused or exalted. You can't brag over what we do, nor can we complain over what we can't do. And God forbid, God forbid, folks, that we not use what God has so graciously given to every single one of us. Now listen to these words. Listen. Don't even turn there, please. Listen. Look at it later. First Peter chapter uh, one. It's up there, I think. Uh, yeah. First Peter one. Uh, First Peter chapter four, verse ten. I didn't write it. It's my fault, not theirs. It says in First Peter four ten. As each one has received a special gift, he says, employ it in serving one another. As each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen, Christian. God did not intend you or me to be a spectator in this thing called Christianity in this grace that we enjoy. Rather, He has gifted every single one of us to use our gifts just as He has measured them out to Him. It's like God Almighty, up in heaven itself, picks this out and says, I'm going to give this to you, John. John. This is your gift. And I said, oh, thanks. Thanks so very much. Needed it. Thank you. And so I go my way and I think. And I said, I wonder what, what it was. What was it that he gave me anyways? And where did I put it? And every once in a while when I sit down doing nothing, I feel some sort of a pain. Somewhere back there. Can you imagine? Taking what God has given to us and not treasuring it. Not using it for His glory. But storing it away and not even be concerned really. Let others do it. I've seen someone else with a gift like this. They're better than me anyways. I'll let them do it. I don't have the time. Can you imagine? I can't. I can't imagine going through this life and, and not using the, the gift that the Lord God has so graciously measured out. May I say another thing about this gift that He has given us? No gift that is given to us by God is to be used so we might develop it individually for our own particular pleasure. No. As Ephesians 4.12 tells us, our gifts have been given to us so we would use it to help equip the saints of the church so that we would help build up the body of Christ so that we might do The work of service. Your gift was given so as to bless the church, not yourself. So you see, using your gift builds up the unity that God desires within His church. And not to use it, may I say, breaks down the unity that God so desires within the family of God. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says he gives. Verse 12, so that we might equip one another. Until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith. Until we all have the knowledge of the Son of God. So that we become mature people. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Now, I could take you through different gifts that are listed within Scripture. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14 explains some of the gifts. Here, Ephesians chapter 4. But I hesitate to give you that list. And I'll tell you why. I believe like Dr. J. Vernon McGee and many other very, very... um, educated people who study the Word of God, that there are far more gifts than the ones that are mentioned here. There might be many of us with the gift of teaching, but not all have the same degrees or or, or areas of the, the ability to teach or the emphasis to teach. In other words... It could be in a classroom. It could be with a, a couple of people, and you feel more comfortable there. Or it could be in a in a bigger setting. It's what God does as He measures out the gift. I'll never ever forget. I want to close with this. I'll never forget. I was invited by a very very well known evangelist to speak at a um, an event at a stadium, large large stadium, and I was invited to share my testimony. And I went. When I got there, I was overwhelmed by the size of the stadium. I was overwhelmed by the number of people that were there. And it was in the evening time. And, and so I was a little nervous and I wanted to do my best. And I got all full of myself. And when I started to share, the, the place was pretty dark. It was nighttime and a boom, a spotlight hit me. And boom, I couldn't see a soul. Not one person. I couldn't see the whole time I shared. I just looked into really just the light. It's all I could see. I stumbled all over myself. You see, the the thing that I found out I like to do is I like to look at faces. I love seeing people that I know and I recognize. That's my gift. And I went. And on the way home, I looked at Kay and I said, "Uh, pretty miserable, wasn't it? She said, really (laughs) bad. I said, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not called to speak in a big stadium. And I'll tell you the truth. I went because of who was there. I went because of the event. I didn't go for my savior. And I fell flat on my face. When you're called, you need to find the area that you're called and to be used in that area. That's why I don't go speak at other churches very often. And only then to people who I know and have and, and, and owe a favor to. Or, or. But I want to be here with you. I, I absolutely love you so much. When I say I love you, it's, it's the easiest thing I can do all week long to tell you that. It's the truth beyond your wildest dream. I love you so much. And so when God takes whatever it is that you have been gifted with, He will use it to your personality, your uniqueness, your background, your education. There are many gifts. For instance, if what you do is, let's say you sing. Let's say you have just this wonderful voice and you sing and you say, Aren't they lucky? Listen to my wonderful voice. You might as well well not sing at all. Not in church anyways. Go record a record. No, but when you sing, as the people do here, as far as I understand each of every one of them, as far as I've examined it, they sing unto the Lord. That's using your talent, your gift to glorify Him. That's what you're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. Not to impress people, but to honor God. To honor Him with that gift He's given you. And not let a day go by where you don't... Use it for His glory. Father, I don't know what this means to each of us here. I certainly know what you're saying to me when I hear it loud and clear. And I I pray, Father, that I will always, always use what it is that you have given to me for your glory. And I pray, Father, that I will use it within the very structure of the church, to build up this, the Rock Community Church that you've called me to, to be a place that is all that you want it to be. Father, we all, I pray, will entrust ourselves to you and this church. May Father God, we bless you with what you have blessed us with. Thank you so much for every person here. I love them, Father, more than I can put into words. You well know. You well know. And so, Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. Bless the baptism that we'll have this afternoon. What a glorious time. I pray that those that can come and observe and just encourage those who are being baptized will be there, Father, so that we would encourage one another in our faith. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than I could ever put into words. Thanks for being here. I will see you next week, God willing.